Hey, Commonwealth family, welcome to another episode of the Sela podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about a concept that I think is so important in our walk with Jesus. And as disciples of Jesus, it's something that we each need to seriously consider and probably put into practice in some shape or form in our lives. Over the past few all-family gatherings, we've been focusing in on our habits and specifically how our habits determine the person that we become. Charles Duhigg, the author of The Power of Habit, writes that the things that we do repeatedly do something to us. About Two months ago, when we kicked off this this portion of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus zeroes in on our habits, we discussed how oftentimes our most deeply entrenched habits, the things that have the most influence over who we are becoming, are unintentional. If you remember that, that gathering, we did a habit audit, and, and we, we covered a series of nine questions that really helped us assess what are our most regular and formative practices. And and I think for most of us, as we went through that habit audit, we found that uh, the things that are most regular in our lives and, and therefore the most formative are things that we have not actually intentionally implemented in our lives. And and actually, if you're listening to this and you don't know what I'm talking about as far as the habit audit, I encourage you to just pause this podcast and go back a few episodes to the episode titled, Who Am I Becoming? And do that habit audit. It happens right at the beginning. Again, it's a series of nine questions. And just take some time to really consider what are, what are the things in my daily life, life, the practices, the habits, the rhythms, that, that have become regular and, and are, are forming who I am as a person. And what we find, I think, for most of us in this habit audit is a lot of our most regular habits center around technology, around our phones, around the things that we consume on a screen. And, and very few of us have sat down and, and actually planned out, this is how I want to spend my time. This is what I want to do uh, every day when I wake up. First thing I wake up, th- these are the things I want to look at and consume. Or right before I go to bed, these are the things I want to be doing or, or watching or consuming. We don't think about those things, yet they often become our most regular and therefore our most formative habits. Every psychologist, neurologist, and sociologist agree that we can draw a straight line between our most regular practices and who we become. Our emotions, our thoughts, our perspective on life, our relationships, our physical health are all influenced by our habits. Therefore, if you are constantly anxious, irritable, tired, impatient, overwhelmed, angry, or whatever else, the first thing you should do is consider your most regular habits. Now, there's certainly other things that could contribute to to these things that I mentioned, and it might be oversimplistic to simply say, you know, adjust your habits. But the experts all agree that addressing our habits is the best place to start if we want to address the person that we are versus the person that we want to become. 
James Clear, in his New York Times best-selling book, Atomic Habits, writes, Every action that you take is a vote for the type of person you become. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you become. So if you are the average uh, iPhone user or modern person in the West, you spend seven hours a day looking at a screen. That is a substantial amount of votes for the type of person you're becoming. Uh, The bottom line here is our habits matter. Our habits really matter. Now, in my opinion, none of this would matter unless it matched up with what Jesus had to say and his vision for our lives. But as we've seen over the past couple weeks, Jesus cares a lot about our habits. So much so that at the climax of the Sermon on the Mount, we find a series of habits that he believes will form us into the type of kingdom person he is calling us to be. One who loves unconditionally, even their enemies. One who doesn't let anger or lust fester within them. One who doesn't deceive but uh, presents themselves to others in authentic and honest ways. One who doesn't retaliate when wronged but always forgives. Jesus cast this vision for his kingdom people. And what's so amazing is, is he doesn't then say, now just go do it or just go be this way. We're faced with this question of how could anyone live like this? How could anyone uh, step into this calling, this high calling that Jesus is placing on our lives? And Jesus answers that question by giving us habits. He calls us to adopt these regular habits that will draw us to him and slowly form us in his likeness so that we can become the type of person that reflects him and his kingdom. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us three habits. We've talked about fasting and prayer. The third is generosity, which we will we will be actually spending the next two all-family gatherings talking about generosity. And there's plenty more habits that we can pick up from the life of Jesus and his disciples, some that we will talk about today. But I just felt like we needed to take a moment and pause and talk about a concept that's not mentioned here explicitly in the Sermon on the Mount or anywhere in the Bible for that matter, but it is something that the early church adopted as a way of practically living out this intentional kingdom-shaped life that Jesus is calling us to. And that is the concept of a rule of life, a rule of life. Now, maybe you've never heard that term before. Maybe you've heard it before, but have never uh, developed your own rule of life. Uh, And maybe you have your own rule of life and have intentionally formed it and are practicing it. Wherever you're at, today is going to be your opportunity to both learn what is a rule of life and how can I write my own and begin to, to practice it. Before we dive into what is a rule of life, just a little bit of a background here. A rule of life was made popular in the mid-500s by an Italian monk named St. Benedict. But we know that it was practiced by Christians as early as 200 AD, just two centuries after Jesus walked on the earth. 
Now, Benedict's rule of life was structured around two things. That is creating space to humbly listen and respond to God's voice. And two, creating space to lovingly give yourself to your community. So space to listen, humbly listen and respond to God's voice, and space to lovingly give yourself to your community. For St. Benedict, the ultimate outcome of this rule of life, the goal of the rule of life, was a life of joy and abundance. Joy and abundance. So what is a rule of life? Uh, It's important to note we're not talking about rules for life in the sense of don't or do this and don't do that. It's not it's not legalistic rules. The word rule uh, can be a little misleading here. So put that aside for a moment and just listen to these definitions by by some uh, wise people who have written extensively on rule of life. Uh, John Mark Comer wrote the book Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and he defines a rule of life as like this. He says, it is a set of practices and relational rhythms that create space to both receive and give love to God and others. Create space to both receive and give love to God and others. Pete Scazzaro wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and he defines a rule of life as an intentional, conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do. The starting point and foundation of any rule is a desire to be with God and to love him. Stephen Machia, who wrote a really helpful little handbook called Crafting a Rule of Life, says a rule of life is a holistic description of the spirit-empowered rhythms and relationships that create, redeem, sustain, and transform the life God invites you to humbly fulfill. Okay, so just drawing out a few, few things here. Rule of life is intentional. It's intentional. Okay? It's, it's regular. Okay, we're talking about rhythms and habits and practices, not not laws, not rules, but rhythms, habits, and practices. We all have habits and practices that we engage in regularly. Creating space is another common theme throughout these definitions. It's about creating space to be with God. And then the last thing I think is really important is a rule of life is is geared towards love both giving and receiving love to god and to others okay so we're not talking about laws or restrictions we're talking about creating space in your life to both give and receive love a rule of life is not it's not intended to take away your freedom okay we think of this you you might be hearing this and you're thinking man like this sounds so restrictive it sounds so so limiting all right it's not about taking away your freedom instead it actually leads to more freedom to more health to more connection with god and with others again we always have to remember that you have regular habits you have regular rhythms we are we are creatures as humans we are creatures of habit and having a bunch of unintentional habits is far more restrictive 
and takes away far more of your freedoms than having uh, uh, intentional and well thought through habits that you choose. So, so just think about that as, as we're talking about this. It's not intended to take away your freedom. It's intended to lead to more freedom and more connection with God and with others. A little bit about the, the name rule of life. The word rule, it comes from the Latin word regula, regula, which refers to a straight wooden stick. Think ruler. Okay, a ruler's long wooden stick. Um, that's the image that, that can come to mind for you. Now, it, often, it also refers to a trellis in a vineyard, which is made up of, of a bunch of long wooden sticks. And that is the image that the early church was drawing upon with this term. Okay, they were in the ancient Near East, uh, Rome, uh, Italy. It was a bunch of vineyards, and they were looking at these vineyards, and they were they were coming up with this image about what our lives should look like. And so they come up with this term, rule of life. They're talking about a trellis. So if you can imagine a vineyard in your mind, I, I would love to throw up a picture for you all to look at, but I can't on the podcast. If you can imagine a, an, an image of a vineyard in Napa Valley, California, or or maybe some, you know, northern Italy vineyard. Um, and as you as you imagine that image, the first thought that comes to your mind is probably not the trellis. Okay, it's probably not. Man, if only those grapevines weren't so restricted and could just be free to grow whichever way they want. No, your your first thought would be probably to appreciate the beauty and abundance of the vineyard. Or maybe your first thought would be the fruit that it would produce. And, and now you just want to go home and have a good glass of wine. So you look at a vineyard and it's not about the trellis. It's about the outcome, what it produces, the abundance of it and the beauty of it. Now, even though the trellis is not the focus when we see a vineyard, we understand its importance. I mean, what would happen if there were no trellises in a vineyard? Well, the grapevines first would not be neatly uh, uh, separated in their own space. They would just grow all over one another and get tangled and, and messed up. And, and what actually would end up happening is there would be disease, so they wouldn't be healthy. They wouldn't produce as much fruit, actually, if, if a, a plant that is on a trellis can produce 10 times as much fruit than a plant that's just allowed to grow uh, whatever way it wants. And what would also ultimately happen is a lot of the branches would break off from the vine. So the grapes would get too, too heavy and there would be nothing to hold them onto the branch and you'd just have, or onto the vine and the branches would just break off. So you, you would have a disease, there wouldn't be much growth, there wouldn't be much fruit, and there would ultimately be separation and death. All because there was no trellis. Now, just like the grapevines need a trellis to grow and to remain healthy and to produce fruit, disciples of Jesus need a rule of life a structure of intentional rhythms and practices in order to grow and produce fruit and remain spiritually and relationally and emotionally healthy. 
And, and you may have already thought about this passage, but I want you to, to consider John chapter 15. And in John chapter 15 is part of Jesus's final words to his disciples. It's, it's, uh, this happens at <clears throat> an event that we call the Last Supper. Jesus knows he's going to get arrested that night and he knows he's going to die the next day on the cross. And so these are his parting words to his followers. The most important thing, he's like, if I'm going to leave you with anything, I'm going to leave you with this. And this is what he says in John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, You are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now there's a lot that could be said about this passage, but I want you to notice that Jesus uses this word remain 11 times in John chapter 15. Clearly it's important to him. Some translations have the word abide, but the word that Jesus is using here, it literally means to build your home or to make your home. He says, make your home in me. I love uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this passage and and a little portion of it. He says, he, he paraphrases it in this way. He says, live in me, make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. I am the vine and you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation, intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. In other words, Jesus is saying, structure your life around me and my presence. Build your life around my teachings and my kingdom vision. Root yourself in my love. Child psychologists have discovered that there is a direct correlation between resilience and love. What I mean by that is a child who has a loving and intimate relationship with at least one attentive adult will display a tremendous amount of resilience in the face of adversity. 
They've found that kids can actually recover and heal from incredibly traumatic experiences if they are rooted in loving, safe, and dependable relationships. But these sorts of relationships don't just happen. They require lots of time, intentionality, and rhythms that allow the relationship to grow. The same is true in our relationship with God. If we don't create intentional and regular space to receive the love of God, then of course we will feel distance. Of course we will feel uncertain. Of course, we will be crippled by fear and doubt and anxiety. Of course, we will struggle to resemble Jesus in the way that we live. It's how we were wired. We need a trellis. We need a structure that keeps us rooted to the vine and allows us to grow and become who we were made to be. We need a rule of life. Now, just getting a little practical here, I, uh, you, you could find on the Commonwealth website, commonwealthknox.org, um, on our resources page, two documents that will help you in forming your own rule of life. I'll also uh, give you at the end here a few resources that if you want to dive deeper into this, you're welcome to do that. Um, I'm going to walk through those two documents. So if you want to pause the podcast and pull those up, uh, on your phone or if, if you're like me and you only listen to podcasts when you're driving or mowing or whatever it might be or cooking, you might not be able to do that now. I'm going to walk through these documents. It might be a little hard to follow if you don't have them in front of you, but at least you'll get the big picture and then maybe you can print them off or, or look at them later and, uh, and, and you know, it'll, it'll be more helpful at that point. So, but, but again, there's two two PDFs that you can pull up on the resources page. I'll also link it in the in the uh, description of this podcast. Uh, the first document is a list of disciplines. And these, um, I have to give most of the credit to Dallas Willard in his book, Spirit of the Disciplines. I stole most of these from that book. I made some tweaks in the descriptions of the disciplines and uh, I think deleted a couple and added a few. Um, but basically, Dallas Willard divides the spiritual disciplines that we see in Scripture. He actually doesn't call them, or he might call them spiritual disciplines. I usually don't use the word spiritual disciplines. That's kind of the default that we go to. But as you'll see, not all disciplines are spiritual in nature. Uh, some are, or many of them, are very physical in the way that we practice them. Um, spiritual disciplines is not a term that we see in scripture. Jesus uses the phrase practices of righteousness. I think that's an awesome way to think about it. I think habits is probably our most uh, kind of culturally normal way of talking about these things, but whatever, whatever works for you. So here's a list of disciplines. Dallas Willard divides these into two, um, uh, two, two types of disciplines. He says disciplines of abstinence are those uh, that we deny ourselves 
the needs and desires in order to make space to focus and connect with God and others. So disciplines of abstinence are ways that we deny ourselves of needs and desires in order to make space to focus on and connect with God and others. And the second category is disciplines of engagement. And these are ways of connecting and conversing with God and other people in order to give and receive love. So notice that disciplines are not just uh, what we do in, in privacy and in the quiet and just, just us and God. Uh, disciplines also include what we do in community with others. Um, that's really important as we think about our rule of life. So just quickly going through these disciplines of ab- abstinence include things like solitude, which would be abstaining from interaction with other people in order to be alone with God. One discipline that goes uh, often hand in hand with solitude is the discipline of silence. That is abstaining from speaking and sounds in order to quiet our minds and our whole self to be attuned to God's presence and his voice. So solitude and silence. Another discipline of abstinence is fasting. We talked about fasting extensively a few all-family gatherings ago, so you can go back and and listen to that if you want to dive deeper into the practice of fasting. But fasting is abstinence from food and sometimes drink for a period of time in order to connect with God and respond to and embody the pain and longing of the world and express our utter dependence on God. Simplicity, the practice of simplicity, is abstaining from using money, goods, and technology to gratify our hunger for status, comfort, or excess in order to cultivate a heart of gratitude, humility, and generosity. So abstaining from using money, goods, and technology to gratify our hunger. Uh, The practice of Sabbath is abstaining from work and chores in order to rest and relish in God's person, provision, and creation. I love that, that phrase, to rest and relish in God's person, provision, and creation. Uh, Sabbath, I've heard it referred to as praying and playing with God and others, praying and playing with God and others. I think we often think of Sabbath as just praying. Uh, It is very much a a time of celebration and enjoyment. It should be a time of abundance. Um, So playing with God and others. Another discipline is the, the discipline of secrecy. Okay, so abstaining from making our good deeds, talents, and accomplishments known to others. We we haven't talked about this much in the Sermon on the Mount, but that's a big focus for Jesus as he's talking about these habits, is secrecy. When you give, don't, don't make it known to others, but give in secret. When you pray, don't pray out loud and, and, and ramble on and on so that you'll sound impressive to others, but go lock yourself in your room, pray in secret. Uh, when you're fasting, don't make it known to others that you're fasting by disfiguring your face and all that, uh, but, but actually take care of yourself. Make yourself look like everything's normal and fine so that people won't know you're fasting. It's this discipline of secrecy. Um, And lastly, in the the disciplines of abstinence is the discipline of sacrifice. And that is abstaining from the possession or enjoyment of what is necessary for life in total abandonment and submission to God. 
we turn over to the disciplines of engagement. This is the second category. And these are ways of connecting and conversing with God and other people in order to give and receive love. So moving through these fairly briefly, um, the first one is the discipline of Scripture, trusting Scripture as our guide, wisdom, and strength for life. This could include Bible study, Scripture meditation, praying through God's Word, uh, journaling and memorizing Scripture. Um, the discipline of worship. This is pondering and expressing God's greatness, goodness, and beauty in words, music, rituals, and symbols. The discipline of celebration. Relishing in the goodness and the greatness of God and his creation through eating, drinking, singing, dancing, playing, laughing, sharing stories, and whatever else would be celebratory for you. The discipline of service is humbly serving God by overflowing with his love and compassion to others, especially those in need. This could include generosity, hospitality, acts of service. The discipline of prayer Prayer is conversing with God about what we're experiencing and doing together. I think that's a cool way of thinking about it. We're conversing with God. Uh, you're, you're conversing with God about what you're doing with God, what's going on, what you guys are experiencing and seeing together like you would any friend. The discipline of fellowship. Fellowship is intentional engagement with others that includes increasing levels of vulnerability, encouragement, challenge, and partnership. So these are the deep, deep relationships, the deep discipleship relationships that that you where you challenge one another and and keep each other accountable and confess to one another and grow and celebrate and just just really dig deep into each other's lives together. And lastly, the discipline of confession is paying attention to our inner self and sharing with God and others our deepest weaknesses and failures for the purpose of growing in our ability to give and receive love. So there's a lot of overlap as we look at these disciplines, but this is what I would encourage you to do. I just read through those uh, maybe just to spark some uh, interest in you as you're listening Uh, Pull up this list. It's on our resources page of our website and just read through these slowly and maybe star one or two that uh, maybe you've never tried or you don't you don't practice regularly and you'd like to try implementing. Um, uh, By no means do we need to practice all of these regularly, but I think it's good to experiment with them and and see how God meets you. Uh, as you you try new things and and uh, ultimately just try to create space to be with him. So read through these, um, pick out one or two that you want to try and experiment with and, and see how that goes. The second document that you'll find on the website is titled The Rule of Life Worksheet. Now you'll look at this. It's Some of you are going to love this uh, if you're kind of a type A um, planner. Uh, some of you are going to look at this and absolutely hate it. Uh, what, I, what I'd encourage you to do is still pull it up and um, uh, use it in a way that works for you. Okay, so the first thing you'll notice is there's a lot of, of quadrants or, or lot, lots of open squares. It's a, it's a, it's a chart here. And uh, by no means do you need to fill in all of these. It's just intended to give you 
uh, a wide range of, of opportunities to brainstorm the ways that you could connect regular, regularly with God. So I'll just go through it really quickly, and then I'm just going to offer three, three helpful things as you begin to craft your rule of life, um, three things to remember. So, so going through this worksheet, you'll notice that um, <clears throat> you'll have uh, daily rhythms, weekly rhythms, monthly rhythms, quarterly, and annually. I've always done daily, weekly, monthly, and annually, uh, but quarterly might be something that, that you would like to do, you know, doing something, um, I don't know, do a day, day retreat uh, once every three months or, or maybe a, a weekend retreat once every three months, something quarterly. Uh, but we all have rhythms, especially daily rhythms, and that's going to be probably where you spend most of your time focusing on, but it's good to consider what are your weekly and monthly rhythms. You'll see that there's seven different categories for, for ways of thinking about our rhythms. So I just want to go through those. The first two are abiding and mindfulness. So how are we abiding with Jesus? How are we creating space just to be with Jesus, to enjoy his presence? Uh, so these would be things like uh, solitude and silence. Um, I think for me, some of the most helpful practices of abiding have been um, cutting back on my use of technology, uh, limiting the time I spend on my phone or looking at a screen because those are, in a sense, abiding in something else that's not Jesus. Now, of course, we can use technology to connect to Jesus. You might have your Bible on there, scripture, but there's so much noise that we're, we're taking in at every moment of every day. And any chance that we can get to to limit that noise or eliminate that noise for a period of time is a practice of abiding. So I would encourage you as as you look at your habit audit, uh, the best place to start is consider the things that you can cut out or limit from your life to create space uh, to abide. The next category is mindfulness. These are things, what are you filling your mind with? How And, and the most common, I think, practice in the category of mindfulness is going to be how we engage with scripture. Uh, are you memorizing or meditating scripture? Are you, are you reading scripture? And, and how are you engaging with that in an intellectual way? So, so what are we filling our mind with? Then, then we have, cat, uh, beyond that, we have three other categories. These are more um, uh, pract- uh, not practical, but physical and categories of engagement. So the first one would be rest. Okay, how are you uh, implementing habits of rest in your day and week and month and year? Um, So on a weekly basis, this could be something like having a family Sabbath uh, or on daily basis. um, This is not something that I do, but maybe for you, it's saying, hey, I'm going to be in bed by, you know, a certain hour every night. I'm going to make sure I get eight hours of sleep because I am a a better person, a more loving person, a kinder person, a more present person when I get a full night's sleep. The second category in that, or the I guess the fourth category would be physical rhythms, body. What do you do with your body? Uh, for me, I uh, uh, one of my most valuable spiritual practices is getting a regular workout. I feel so much better when I get physical exercise, and there's a lot of science to back up 
uh, why that is. Um, but man, I'm, I'm so much more engaged in my relationships with people. I'm so much less stressed um, when I uh, can get a, a workout in. Um, I'm, I'm more likely the next day to wake up early and spend time praying or just sitting with God uh, if, if I got some physical exercise the day before. So uh, another thing that, that could fall under this category is fasting or how you eat. Um, you know, all, all these sorts of things can, can fall within those physical habits and rhythms. And then relationships. What are your habits of relationships? How are you connecting with people in community? How are you connecting uh, with people in, in fellowship, really getting intimate and deep with people in your lives? How are you engaging your neighbors um, and your neighborhood relationally? Uh, what are you doing as a family to grow in your, your familial relationships? And then we have two more categories, and these are, are more missional categories and, and really important. Don't, don't neglect these. Uh, the first is, is rhythms of incarnation. Okay, how are you uh, uh, present in your community um, in a way that Jesus would be present in your community? So maybe you do intentional daily walks around your block, slow, prayerful walks, um, just seeing what God does and what conversations he might bring about. Uh, maybe it's, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> maybe it's uh, th- throwing, throwing a block party or, or just m- making an intentional effort to visit the homes of the people ar- around you. Uh, this is all, these are all habits of incarnation. Uh, and then lastly, habits of generosity and hospitality. How are you giving of yourself, your time, your energy, your money to the work of God? Uh, so this could be giving to your local church community. This could be setting aside money uh, every month to bless your neighbors or meet needs as they arise in your neighborhood. This could be having people in your home for meals on a weekly uh, or, or, or multiple times a week um, a rhythm. How are you opening up yourself and your life and your possessions to the work of God and his kingdom? habits of generosity and hospitality. So here, three things to consider. Again, I'm just trying to run through this, these documents for you. Uh, It's going to be much easier if you have it in front of you and can follow along in that way. But three things to consider in close here um, as you're making your rule of life. Number one is to simplify. Simplify. Uh, A rule of life is not about adding things to your schedule. You have to hear that. It's not about adding things to your schedule. For most of us, uh, where we should start should be about subtracting and reorienting our habits rather than adding to our life. In other words, you should start by taking stock of, of your unintentional habits. This is why the habit audit is so important. And, and cut things out rather than just start adding things. Okay, if, you're, if you don't currently read your Bible on a regular basis, don't start by writing down, read the Bible for an hour a day on your rule of life worksheet. Uh, you're not going to do it. It's not going to happen. Um, instead, you maybe you notice, hey, I spend two hours a day on Instagram. 
All right, you can look on your phone and it will tell you how much time you spend. And maybe the first habit that you write down or, or rhythm that you write down your rule of life is uh, I'm going to limit my daily Instagram time to 30 minutes a day. Uh, you can do that on your phone. You can you can set time limits on anything. Uh, phones, uh, for all the downsides of our smartphones, they give you a lot of opportunities to restrict your use of the phone. Um, take advantage of that. And, and one of the best habits of abiding that you can do, um, and it's very easy because it's not about adding things to your schedule, is just limiting the time you spend uh, looking at certain apps. So if you're the average Instagram user and you are on Instagram two hours a day, again, that's the average, um, and you cut down your Instagram daily usage to 30 minutes, you have just gained an hour and a half of your life back every single day. Okay, that is simplifying. That is freedom. Uh, that is not adding things to your schedule. And then you can you can take that time and you can say, hey, I'm going to spend the first 10 minutes of every day before I pick up my phone, before I do anything, I'm just going to spend meditating on a psalm. Uh, very simple. Um, uh, just open up your Bible and, and pick a psalm and just read it slowly. And then pray as God prompts you to pray or just sit and listen. Um, again, simplicity is so important in your rule of life. Okay. The second thing to remember is be specific. Okay, be specific. Uh, don't write down on your rule of life. Be more generous. Okay, again, not it's not going to change your life if that's what you write down. Instead, write down, uh, set aside a hundred dollars a month, or fifty dollars a month, or twenty dollars a month in a bless fund, so that as needs arise in my neighborhood, I can give generously to my neighbors who have needs, or I can bless those that that I feel compelled to bless. Okay, don't write down pray every morning. Again, not specific. Okay, instead write down I'm going to leave my phone turned off uh, on my kitchen counter, whatever it is, until 7 a.m. So that when I wake up at 6 a.m., I have this hour where I'm not distracted by whatever might pop up on, on my phone and I can read two psalms, meditate uh, on the Lord's Prayer maybe, um, spend 10 minutes in silence, listen to worship music, uh, write down things that I'm grateful for, whatever you want to do in that time, um, just be specific about it. And you can always go back and change it, but be as specific as you can, as specific as you can so that you actually stick to it and practice it. Um, <clears throat> so be specific. And then the, the third thing to remember, so, so simplify, sp specify, and then the third thing to remember is to slow down. Okay, slow down. Don't try to revamp your whole life tomorrow. Uh, instead, pick one thing to cut out or one thing to introduce and just stick with that for some time. And once you've established that change where it no longer uh, um, is something you have to think about, but it just becomes a regular habit, just like all, all the other unintentional habits that you have in your life. <clears throat> once you've established that, then you can revisit your rule of life and make another change. But go slow. You don't have to fill this whole thing out tomorrow. 
just pick one thing. So start slow. Okay, so simplify, specify, and slow down. One thing to remember as, as I close here is everyone has a rule of life. Everyone has rhythms and habits that their life is structured around. And if you don't make your own rule of life, it will be made for you. That's just the reality of it. We all have habits, whether intentional or unintentional. And I think that if you really think about it, you would much rather have a life that is structured around, in, around intentional habits that draw you into the presence of God rather than those that are unintentional. So that's what I want you to consider as you go from here. Again, use these resources. Uh, if you're part of our Commonwealth community here in Knoxville, um, I would love to sit down with you over coffee and process this with you more and help you more and answer any questions you have. I know that's a lot, but if you don't want to sit down with me, I understand. Here's a few resources that you can look at uh, that will help you if, if you need more help in this journey. Uh, the first is a very simple book to read. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. A very easy read and very helpful and practical. Uh, the second is a, a little bit of a, a longer book, but very practical. It's a handbook called Crafting the Rule of Life by Stephen Machia. Stephen Machia, M-A-C-C-H-I-A. And then the last book is a little bit more of a, a dense read, um, and it is by Dallas Willard, who can be difficult to read at times. It's called Spirit of the Disciplines. And this just dives deep into what are the disciplines and the habits that, that God calls us into as followers of Jesus. So Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, Crafting a Rule of Life by Stephen Machia, and Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard. Any of those three resources would be great ones to check out. Um, if you want to dive deeper into this topic of rule, uh, rule of life. In the meantime, uh, blessings to you all. Have a great day.